Good evening. It's good to be together with you this evening. Um, it's been a while since I've uh, it's been a while since I've gotten to be uh, with our downtown campus. Um, it's been a while since I've actually gotten to be with TCPC at all. I, I uh, every every year uh, our church our session graciously gives me the month of July off to um, write a little bit and retreat a little bit and hang out with the family and vacation and all that and so um, it's good to be back uh, this August I will be uh, preaching down here um, uh, several times I, I think three more times um, and we really kind of don't get going with new sermon series until after uh, Labor Day weekend and so Every year, if you're a new TCPC, every year when we get back, um, when I get back from vacation, it kind of gives me a month to uh, preach some things that I feel like uh, the Lord has laid on my heart for our congregation um, to revisit vision and values of our church and all those different things and kind of shape uh, where we're going for the year because this kind of feels like the beginning of the year uh, for for us. We, we found that follow the the uh, school calendar more than the than the uh, calendar year and so we're about to start in fact um i, I don't know where people are going to sit here in a few weeks uh when when college comes back we'll figure that out but uh but really here in about two or three weeks is when things start back for for churches and so uh, we take some time here um, in preparation for that to um uh, to, to kind of set the scene for the year and that's that's what i'm doing this evening the passage here is luke 10 uh, 38 through 42. Oh, also, I wrote myself a note here. Um, I could not find a parking place out there. And so if you have a white forerunner uh, with like a bumper sticker that says like 0004 or something like that on the back of it, I am parked directly behind you. You cannot leave. Um, but I will leave quickly after the service. So if that's you and there's an emergency, um, is that you? Okay, good. Vines, you cannot leave until I leave. I got you, buddy. So you just look like the best one to block in. So I was like, I I'm going to choose this one. So anyway, you can't move. So, and I mean that. You cannot move. I am right behind you. So anyway, uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, I chose this passage for a dual reason. One doesn't really apply here. Actually, it, it does. Um, Sam Taff who some of y'all have gotten to know quite a bit. He, he's been here now, I think, for a month. He is the new uh, campus minister for the University of Kentucky, RUF, Reform University, uh, RUF. He was installed as the new minister there this morning, and that service took place at our other campus. And so this passage and this sermon was kind of his um, ordination installation service, sermon, kind of like a charge to him. But it had a dual meaning because then I wasn't just charging um, Sam and RUF with this passage in this sermon. Um, I also said I would like for this to shape um, our church going forward um, it, it, this, this year, and you'll, you'll hear more about that in a minute. But it's Luke 10, 38 through 42. Let me read it, and then we will, uh, we will dive in together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are 
anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we do pray your blessing upon your word. Lord, I pray that you would come and visit your people. Uh, There's so many faces here uh, that I don't even know, uh, but you know. You are familiar with every single heart in this room, and by your good and great sovereign providence before the foundations of the world, you wanted them to be sitting exactly where they are tonight to hear this. Um, The weight of that should land on all of us. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would remember your great purposes for them, that you would be faithful, that whatever uh, they need from your word, however they need to be fed, you would feed them. Teach us, Jesus, the difficult lesson of what it looks like to sit and rest at your feet. We are a restless people, Lord. Teach us what it means to rest in you. Uh, help me to be faithful to the passage, and uh, forgive me when I don't, and, and strengthen me one more time today uh, to preach your word faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me introduce it uh, this way. I, I uh, Like I said, we just got back from vacation. A wonderful time. Um, one of the frustrating things that I've discovered, um, I, I'm totally the cheesy dad who uh, plans... Um, who plans all these things for his kids and, and, and wants them to experience all these wonderful things. And uh, if, you're, if you're a dad, you'll get this. And like you get really frustrated with them when they don't appreciate uh, the vacation or the activity that you've planned for them. Like you think it should be awesome and you, get, you actually find yourself getting mad at them for not having fun um, and yelling at them maybe for not having fun. Um, and, and so I'm totally that guy, and, and, and it frustrated me a little bit when we got done with the whole thing. Um, the first night back in Lexington, we were on the dinner table, and I said, you know, guys, what was your favorite part of the trip? Um, here are the answers. Uh, my oldest son said the, the car ride. Um, my second son, Charlie, he said, I don't know, just hanging out. Okay. Uh, Owen said wrestling. My youngest said wrestling with me. And then, and then of course, we got a newborn who couldn't care if we were, you know, in the backyard or in Colorado. So, um, uh, moral of the story is I wasted a lot of money last month. Um, we could have done all of this. I could have gotten in the car and driven around with Holt. I could have wrestled Owen. I could have just hung up with Charlie. Um, and so I waste a lot of money with a big vacation, and it's a little frustrating for the, 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 the last true family man inside of me. But, um, but the other side of that is that it's, it, that it's a little bit touching, because you know what they're saying, and, and, and dads know, know this all too well. You know what they're saying in that is um, that more than anything, they just, they just enjoy me more than what I can offer them. And that what makes vacation so awesome in the end is not necessarily going somewhere awesome and experiencing things awesome. It's just uh, dad unfiltered, right? It's just, it's just me um, out of state, away from the cares and concerns of, of the church, and nobody can get to me, and I'm, just, I'm fully theirs, and they get me. And, and that's what, at the end, is so uh, beautiful about vacations, about shared experiences like this, is, is it's just you. And that's, at the end of the day, what they actually want. And this is the lesson that is going to play out for us this evening in this very familiar passage. It's Martha is, is 
is busy doing so much for Jesus, legitimately compelled by a love for Jesus, legitimately wanting Jesus to enjoy himself in her home, running around, doing everything, making the preparations, trying to be hospitable, but all Jesus wants is Martha. And I'm going, to ask, um, I'm going to ask this lesson from this passage to set the tone for this year at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, and I'll explain what I mean by that later on. The passage is um, obviously intended to compare and contrast Martha and Mary. It kind of, it kind of outlines itself. You've you got Martha and Mary, and you're supposed to compare those. And so that's how I'll approach it. Um, I'll label it this way. We're going to look at the service of Martha and the submission of Mary. The service of Martha... Uh, verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, most of us are familiar enough with this passage to know that Martha is the bad example to follow here. And so because of this, we are conditioned to kind of demonize her. She's the bad person and we're, we, we, we know we shouldn't be like her. But, but that's not actually how you're supposed to see this passage. Uh, you're supposed to view her as the um, admirable one here in the passage because she, she truly is. Uh, she's, she has eagerly welcomed Jesus into her home. Um, she immediately begins serving him. She's just exuding hospitality, just like any of you would do if Jesus were to show up at your house tonight. Run around, clean it up, get the snacks out, whatever it takes. How can I serve you, Jesus? She's doing exactly what she should be doing. And we're left to say, well, why is that such a bad thing? And the answer, of course, is that is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The problem, however, is that the good thing has replaced the greater thing. Look at the wording there, verse 40. But Martha was, and this is the key, distracted with much serving. Now what's interesting about that is that Jesus views Martha as the distracted one. But to us, Martha seems like the focused one, right? Going about her responsibilities, getting the job done, working hard, efficiency, good work ethic, going after it. This doesn't look distracted. So why does Jesus call this distracted? Because Jesus views himself as the focal point. She's distracted. She's distracted not from her work. She's actually really focused on that. But she's distracted from her worship. It is in her authentic desire to serve Jesus that she is distracted from Jesus. And herein is where we find ourselves vividly illustrated in the passage. Do you know what Martha's doing in our text, honestly? She's doing her job. Culturally speaking, this is, uh, this is what was expected of women. The, the men have gathered and the women get busy serving, which, because I can't resist as an aside, isn't it so lovely that Jesus commends Mary, who awkwardly neglects her cultural expectations of the day by sitting with the men at Jesus' feet. And he thinks that's beautiful, which I love about Jesus. But my point is that Martha got distracted simply doing her job. And here's why that's important. This isn't necessarily bad stuff distracting her from Jesus. This isn't, this isn't gross immorality, evil stuff. These are just the normal expectations of life. And that's where you will find yourself in the text. We typically think, and rightfully so, but we typically think of um, evil 
transgressions, immoralities, sins, addictions as that which come between us and Jesus. And that's certainly true. But more often, more often, it's not the big sin. It's the busyness of life. It's not the, it's, it's not the porn addiction. It's the demands of the job, the demands of the home, parenting, schooling, about to go back to school, all the demands that come with that. The, the waking up, and I don't know if you ever get this feeling, but you wake up and it's just like you, the, the needs of the day just bombard you. Just the endless to-dos of what has to happen before you. Good things, noble things, things that you do have to do, things you were made to do for Jesus, but they also are threats to your fellowship with Jesus. And what you need to see is that these more, um, these more subtle, good, what I would call them clean distractions, um, they, they can be just as harmful and destructive as those big evil transgressions that you um, worry over. And that shows up in our text. Watch as things just kind of quickly unravel for Martha. I mean, it, the whole thing comes, comes undone relationally with her relationship with others, relationship with herself, and relationship with Jesus. Watch it all unfold. Continue verse 40. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone, left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Do you sense the resentment there? Martha is busy serving. Mary is just sitting there. Martha becomes indignant. How dare you let me do all the work? Just bitter, angry. Jesus, tell her to help me. And here's what happens. Busy communities. Um, I would say that better, even better than this. Religiously busy communities inevitably turn into bitter, fractured communities because they become competitive communities. And here's what I mean by that. If the center of your religion is doing stuff for Jesus, then how do you measure whether you're doing enough for Jesus? If, you're, if the way you operate as a Christian is, I've got to do for Jesus. I've got to do more, more, more for Jesus. I've got to be better. I've got to do more things, da, 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 da. How do you know if you've done enough? Uh, the only measuring thing I know, or at least the way I find myself doing, is, is, is I have to compare myself to others. How much are you doing for Jesus? And either that will lead to pride because I'm outperforming you or guilt and shame because you're outperforming me in, in our day and age is the latter because in the Instagram age we can kind of, we can, um, we can project this awesome Christian thing. And, and, and so we look, we look at all what everybody else is doing and it's just guilt and shame. I'm not doing enough. Or it could lead to, like in our text, resentment because I'm working so hard and you're not doing as much. But the point is this. Religious busyness unravels a community by turning it into a competitive community with one another. And that's what's happened here. She's bitter at her sister because her sister isn't performing like she's performing. But it's not just relationship with others that is affected. It's also relationship with self. Continue on, verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Now, how perfectly does that nail you? It nails me. Robert, Robert, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I'm only asking one thing. 
the key to understanding her anxiety and yours is that contrast between many things and one thing. Jesus says you're distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. We'll talk about that one thing in the next point, but now the point is this, that Martha is troubled by many things that apparently to Jesus are not necessary. Isn't that fascinating? What that means, here's what this means. Martha has placed upon herself expectations that Jesus doesn't expect for her. You, you want to be anxious? You want to be crazy? You want to, you, want to, you want to dislike the Christian journey? Demand more from yourself than the Lord God Almighty demands of you. <laughs> say, say to Jesus, you don't expect enough of me. I should be doing more than you want me to do. That's, that's what he's saying here. These are your expectations, Martha. You're troubled by many things. I'm asking one thing. And it's eating her up with anxiety. But not just relationship with others, not just relationship with self. Most importantly, look at how it destroys relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, it's not Mary who is so troubling to Martha. It's Jesus. Listen to these words. Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. Now, did you catch the irony of her words there? She says, Lord... Okay, you can't address someone as Lord and then immediately question their character and tell them what to do. But that's what she does. Lord, don't you care? Do you not care? Questioning his character. Tell her. She's telling Jesus what to do. Whenever either of these... Um, are the dispositions of our heart, you know something is off in your soul. Whenever you look to the Lord Jesus and question His goodness, whenever you look to the Lord Jesus and tell Him what He ought to be doing in your life, something's off. But remember, and this is important, Martha is busy doing Jesus' stuff. She is busy serving Jesus. She loves Him. She really does. We know that from Scripture. She really does love Him. She's invited him into her home. She's going about serving her Savior, but she's, got dis she's gotten distracted. And what's happened is that serving Jesus has replaced being with Jesus, and that exchange bears fruit in resentment toward Jesus. And I'll tell you why. He's no longer a joy. He is a burden. He is, he's no longer freeing. He is enslaving. Because what you have done, in effect... What she has done and what we do is we have turned Jesus into every other religion, this demanding deity with an endless list of many things that he wants you to be doing rather than a personal Savior who just wants you. She sees him as a religion that has a lot for her to do rather than just as a Savior who just wants to be with her. So very quickly, what's happened is the thing's kind of unraveled, right? Uh, she's bitter at her sister. It's divided the family. She's eaten up with anxiety. She's yelling at the Lord Jesus. That sounds like someone in the thralls of addiction, right? 
If you worked, you walked with somebody, or maybe you're there through through some really really difficult um, times or, or serious more morality issues, stuff like that. That that's that's what it sounds like. It, it destroys the family. Um, this person's just eaten up with anxiety and and shame, and they're mad at the Lord and all this stuff. This sounds like someone in the thralls of addiction, but it's not. It's someone who's too busy. It's someone who's too distracted by doing too much for Jesus. Someone who's allowed good things to replace the ultimate thing. Now let's turn to Mary. The text doesn't just rebuke the Martha-like tendency within us all. It additionally invites us into the Mary-like posture of submission before Jesus. So I call it the submission of Mary. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now what's interesting here is that this is apparently the one thing that Jesus views as necessary, which is fascinating to me. Again, verse 42, he says, one thing's necessary and Mary has chosen it. So what is this one thing that Mary has gotten right? What's the one thing she's done right? The answer in verse 39 is, Nothing, which is the right answer. Or not nothing, two verbs, but they're both passive. Look at the verbs of 39. Mary sat and listened. That's it. In contrast to Martha's distracted busyness, Mary chooses to sit and listen, which apparently is the one thing that Jesus expects. So that's the application of the text. It's really simple. Sit and listen. Not the expectations that you place upon yourself. Those, those are the many things that trouble and, and make you anxious. Jesus asks this, will you sit and listen? Now, you're going to discover that application as both freeing and challenging. And I want to show you why for both. Its freedom is found in this. Why is it so freeing to have Jesus say, one thing I ask, sit and listen? The reason that's freeing is because all Jesus wants from you is you. Not what you can give him. Not what you can produce for him. Not what you can do. Not what check you can write for his causes. Not what family you can produce, great, awesome Christian family you can produce for Him, not what career you can build in His name, not what you can do, just you. Jesus wants you, not your services. Now, I know you feel pressure in Christianity and guilt and shame and burden. The I'm not good enough I'm not ever doing enough. I could always be better. More, 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 more for Jesus. But please understand that these are all religious expectations that we heap upon our own souls. Jesus is shouting to us in the text, would everyone just chill out? Settle down with the religion. Lay it down. Relax. Sit and listen. I only want you. Now, doesn't that feel good? And as an aside, if you're not a follower of Jesus, what an invitation, right? To invite you into um, a religion that doesn't say, okay, here's your list, get busy. 
It says, oh, actually, God just wants you. You. Sit and listen to Jesus. That's the invitation. But if it feels so good, and it seems so simple, and if it's supposed to be so freeing, then why are we so bad at living this out? Well, because that gets into the challenge of it. Return again to verse 39. She had a sister who called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Here's the point. This isn't just any kind of sitting and listening. When I say all Jesus expects of you is sit and listen, that's not all Jesus expects of you is to veg out. This is a certain type of sitting, sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Now, if you're anything like me and every Christian I seem to know, that type of sitting and listening is actually really hard. This isn't sit and listen to Netflix. I got that down. I'm awesome at that. This isn't sit and listen to a social media feed. This isn't sit and listen to a, the latest podcast. This isn't sit and listen to the endless, endless media and advertising voices of our world promoting the idols of the world. This isn't sitting and listening to the insidious whispers of the evil one tempting us towards our lusts and struggles. I don't know about you, but that type of sitting and listening comes very natural to me. I need no help with that. I'm really good at it. What doesn't come natural to me and what I do struggle with is to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. So what that means is that you're going to have to work really hard to do this. It's the paradox of you're going to have to work really hard to rest well. You're going to have to work. You're going to, I'll put it this way. You have to work harder than Martha is working in our passage to emulate Mary in our passage. We're going to have to strive hard for this kind of sitting and listening. Somehow in this neurotic, busy, distracted culture of ours where Martha is the hero to emulate, and is she not? Is Martha not the hero of American culture? I hire her. She's the hero. We're going to have to be counterculture in our passion to work really hard to rest in Jesus. Not only this, but we're going to have to humble ourselves. Here's the deeper reason why this is so hard for us. And here's the deeper reason um, for this Martha-ness inside of us all. It's our pride. At the end of the day, the text is all about submission. That's why I labeled Martha as service and Mary as submission. She's busy at service. Mary has submitted herself to the feet of Jesus. The problem with Martha is she is up running around as though Jesus needs her to serve him. But Jesus doesn't need Martha's efforts at all. Jesus doesn't need Martha at all. Martha needs Jesus. This is so subtle but important to see. Nowhere else does this happen in Luke. Look closely at verse 41 at his answer. But the Lord answered her. Now, everywhere else in Luke, when Jesus responds to someone, the text says, he answered, or Jesus answered, or Christ answered. But here, and only here, Luke says, the Lord answered her. And I think that's intentional. As if to say, who do you think you are? I'm the Lord. You need me, not the other way around. Of course, Martha 
couldn't articulate this. But in reality, her actions and our busyness and our control, they are, it is a self-righteous power play on Jesus. Busyness is a form of control rather than submission. And, and you know that's true of your busyness as well. You know it's a pride thing. You know it's a control thing. You know you can't sit still because your pride won't let you. But Jesus will have it no other way. We need Him. He does not need us. You need Jesus. Jesus does not need you. Taste Creek Presbyterian Church needs Jesus. Jesus does not need Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. He came to serve us. He works for us. He suffered for us. He rose for us. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's a quote from Jesus. So in one sense, it's freeing to see Mary as the example here. In one sense, we say, all I have to do is sit and listen. Well, I can do that. But the point of the text is, can you? Can you really? To do so is going to take a lot of effort and a lot of humility. But it will be worth it. Verse 42, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from her. What Jesus is doing here is, in a subtle way, calling out our busyness by saying, everything you give your life to, all the busyness you fill your life with, all the strivings, all the labors of your hand, it's Ecclesiastes, it's vanity. It's going it's to be taken from you. You give your life away to career, to, to children, to money, to, to even being religious, whatever. It's just in the end it will be taken. And he's saying, Mary has chosen literally the one thing that will never be taken from her, and that's me. You're giving your life away to so many things that will be taken. She's sitting at the one thing that will not be taken me. When we repent of all of our competing loves and idolatrous distractions and make Christ preeminent again, when we return and sit and listen again to Jesus as our first love, we wisely choose the one thing that will not be taken from us. So application. Um, here's here's uh, why I, I thought this passage was very fitting for, for, for our church, um, not just for Sam and his installation in RUF, but for our church. Um, one of the things, that, one of the benefits of, of allowing uh, me to retreat in July is, is I feel like I'm able to spend some time um, in prayer and thought and kind of just to assess congregationally where we are. Um, and you, you, I guess you could say maybe this applies more to our main campus and that's more of who I, whom I had in mind, but it certainly applies here. And I, I think Marshall would echo everything I'm, I'm about to say here. Um, when I think about TCPC as an institution, um, we have done, boy, the Lord, the past five years has been extraordinary. Um, we have, we have unveiled a vision and values that we have given our lives to. Um, we have seen so much growth. The Lord has blessed this church. Um, and I'm not just talking about numerical, which gets all the attention, but I'm just talking about um, just growth in people's lives, marriages, um, lost being saved, just, just tons of growth. 
Um, we, we had a capital campaign where we raised a lot more money we thought we'd be able to raise, which enabled us to um, finish out the facilities at our main campus, new facilities, and to plant this new church um, that came out of this. There's a lot of people who gave extreme sacrifices so that this could be a reality, and uh, the Lord blessed that. New church, um, new annual conference, new ministries, new staff, um, campus ministry. I mean, it's just, we have, there is, the Lord has done so much. And, and here's what I got. Here's the sense I got as I retreated. Um, I feel like it's time for our church to catch its breath a little bit. Um, and to remember our first love. Not because I, I think we've forgotten our first love. I certainly don't. But it, it, it's time to make sure that we don't get so institutionally busy serving Jesus that we forget Jesus. Does that make sense? Where churches can just get so busy doing stuff for Jesus like Martha that they forget the reason they exist, which is Jesus, our first love. And so there is this sense where I feel like we need to take a breath, remember our first love, and just sit and listen. Very practically, there are going to be things coming to help cultivate that. Honestly, um, I think your congregation does this really well, and uh, the main campus is learning from you about how you do community, how together you do sit at the feet of Jesus, and it's beautiful, and we're actually learning some of that and trying to apply some of that to ours. But, but there will be practical ways to do that, but I, I guess here from the beginning, I'm just asking, will you commit this to being the year for you personally in your home and here at the church to just sit and listen to Jesus? Um, to catch a breath, to sit at the Savior's feet, and to remember that's really all He wants. This would be a good question of application for you to consider, to prepare yourself for that, for the sitting and listening. What consistently gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus? And when I say what consistently gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus, I, I, I want you to not immediately run to the bad sin stuff that you do. I know that's there, okay? I know that's there, and, and Jesus' blood is, 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 it can make the foulest clean. You're forgiven. You keep fighting the good fight of faith. Um, keep getting help. Keep getting accountability. I know you immediately run to that stuff, but that's not a good application of the text. The good application of the text is what are the stuff that you normally wouldn't think of as getting in the way that's getting in the way? It could be ministry. It could be school. It could be work could be your inability to say no to anybody. Just, just stuff that looks good to everybody else, like Martha, but is actually destroying your relationship with Jesus. What's getting in the way? What keeps you from His Word? What keeps you from prayer? What keeps you from attending church every single week? If you came to me right now and said, I get it, but she had Jesus right there and she could sit at His feet and listen. How do I do that? I've got an easy answer to that. Be here every week. This is the God-ordained way to sit and listen at the feet of Jesus. What keeps me from being at church every week? What keeps me from immersing myself into biblical community? What keeps me from taking that step into church membership or into a community group down here? What distracts me from Jesus? Not the bad things, the good things that are replacing your ultimate thing. How about we repent? Not just of the ugly sins in our lives, but of our good distractions and make room for more Jesus. I'll tell you this, that would make Jesus really happy. Do you know that he wants that so badly from you? Because he's crazy about you? By way of motivation, I want you to know 
that the reason Jesus prioritizes this is because he is really into his people. The reason Jesus says, I expect one thing, and it's you, Martha, at my feet, is because he's really into Martha. And he wants to be with her. He wants her to sit and hang out with him. And I would just say this to you, busy, crazy, anxious, neurotic Christians, Jesus is missing you. He misses you. He wants you just as much as you want him. More. Because that's the crazy thing. When I, here's what's crazy. I give my kids a hard time for the highlights of their vacation. But when I think about the highlights of mine, it's them too, right? Like I really, really enjoy, nothing I enjoy more than um, being by myself with the fly ride catching uh, big trout. And I did catch big trout. Had to throw it in there. But, but to stand with my son in the middle of a river where he catches this just tiny little brookie that's flopping around and going crazy over a little trout. Why is that better for me than a big trout? I really love the mornings all to myself. My coffee, my books, all to myself, silent house. And yet there is this part of me that is just eagerly awaiting the little pitter-patter from, from my kids running into the room. And, you know, every parent knows when they come in the room, it's just new excitement every morning, right? I really love a nice date night out with my wife. But I really love a noisy dinner table, laughter with kids. I'm actually going to take that one back. I like my wife better than my kids. Uh, I, I'll take that one back. But you get the point. I'd rather be with my wife out than without kids. But... It's not just kids who want to be with their father. It's their father who wants to be with them. And the gospel is the good news that, yes, we want God, and God wants us. Jesus is jealous in this text. That's what's going on. Jesus is jealous over Martha. What are you doing? I want you. Settle down. I want you with me at my feet. Stop it. Can we hang out? And Jesus is likewise saying to all of us, would you all just chill out? I miss you. I miss you. He wants you. And if you don't believe me when I say that, I know some of you with your condemning ways and your condemning souls, even when I say he wants you, you say, yeah, right. You don't, if you don't believe, it's fine. You don't want to believe me? Look at what he has done to have you. He didn't do the cross. He didn't do so much for you so that you could do so much for Him. He did so much for you just so that He could have you. If you view the gospel this way, and I've actually heard preachers say this, look at all that Jesus has done for you. Now, what will you do for Him? It's blasphemy. He doesn't need you. It's look at all that Jesus has done for you. Boy, He must be really into you. Now, aren't you into Him? Return to Jesus, sit, and listen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you just want us. Not what we can do, not what we can provide, not what we can produce, just you. And Lord, I pray that this would be a community where uh, that's what sinners feel when they come here. This is a place where it's okay to just rest and sit and be with the Lord who wants to meet with his people. 
for that to happen, we all have to cultivate this in our lives. Help us to say no to the good things that we might say yes to the greater thing, you, Jesus. Now, Lord, as we come to your table, you are waiting for us here. I pray you would meet your people. You are here because you want to be here and you want to be with us. I pray we would come forward in that way. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.